Welcome to the Bethel Community Church Podcast. Bethel Community Church exists to love and lead one another to find and follow Jesus. Today's message is part two of the return of Jesus. Today we're going to tie it to the resurrection and how the resurrection of Jesus proves that he will return again because he promised to his disciples in the upper room that he is going to prepare a place for them and then a few days later he rose from the dead it proves that he actually can be counted on to fulfill his promise to come back for those that have accepted him and love him so let's get going on part two of the return of jesus if you'd like more information about bethel you can visit us online at mybethel.cc I think all of us hope that the resurrection is true. All of us have this deep sea. That's why Easter is such a big day to celebrate is because we, we have something inside us that it's so attractive. We really hope that that moment that Jesus walked out of the grave is actually true because that means that he's coming again. That means that all his promises can be counted on. Uh, the disciples were with Jesus and they were raring up to take over the kingdom. They had this idea that Jesus, um, he was performing miracles. He was the weighted Messiah. He, they had this idea that he was about to step into the throne room and he was going to bring the kingdom of Israel into freedom. And so they're sitting in the, the upper room. They're celebrating the Passover dinner. Uh, we have uh, all the disciples there. We have the women there. They're in the upper room. They've just been, their feet have been washed by Jesus. Jesus came in and the crowds are crowning, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna. I mean, they were ready to go. And then Jesus tells them, I'm actually about to give my life. I'm going to be killed and going to be crucified. A little unsettling. The disciples didn't quite know how to take this and they weren't quite, quite tracking with Jesus in his death. But here's the truth, and here's the, the, the reason the resurrection is celebrated is because Jesus is coming back. Jesus is coming back. If we, can, if we can examine the resurrection and see how it turned these disciples' lives upside down when they saw the risen Jesus, then we can take it to the bank that Jesus is returning and Jesus is coming back. We're going to walk through John chapter 14. We're going to be for a few verses there, and then we're going to go over to Acts. But this morning, I want us to start in John 14. Jesus is with them. He had just told the disciples that he was going to be turned over. Peter said that I'm ready to go die with you. And so Peter was like picking up the swords. They had just kind of had an agreement or a conversation about who's the greatest, who's going to have Jesus's back, and who's going to go second, and who's going to go third, and then who's going to pick up the rear. They they had this this conversation, and Jesus is like, hey guys, that doesn't matter because I'm about to go give my life. Peter says, let me go with you. I'm going to die. And Jesus is like, actually, And before tomorrow morning, you're going to deny me three times. And he's like, no way. He's unsettled. And in verse 1 of chapter 14, it says, Jesus said, don't let your hearts be troubled. He said, trust in God and trust also in me. Now, Now imagine the uncertainty here. And I think all of us have to come to this point of uncertainty because there is certain amounts of anxiety and stress and fear when we come to Jesus and he asks us to give our lives to him. There's a few things that Jesus is talking about here. There's a few things that Jesus is trying to get the disciples to see is that you're about to turn your back on me. I'm about to be crucified, and yet I'm going to return. I'm going to raise from the dead. I'm going to walk with you, and then I'm going to set you on a mission. They were still thinking in political terms, and Jesus was actually thinking in kingdom terms. Jesus told them that he would be betrayed by one of them, 
He told them he'd be arrested, he'd be put to death, and their expectations just shattered. They couldn't believe this. They wanted a conquering king. They didn't want a servant that would die. And I think today, 2,000 years later, we still struggle with the exact same tension because we're looking for a conquering king to come back and set the government right. And Jesus never promised that. Jesus promised he would come back and set up his own kingdom, not the world's kingdom. We're actually looking for someone to defend us, not someone to rescue even those that hurt us. We're not looking for a savior to rescue the sinner that is our enemy. We're looking for him to rescue us. And I, the, the, Pastor Reuben has said this before. He said the gospel is not offensive by who it keeps out. The gospel is offensive by who it lets in. And so heaven is offensive, not because of who can't go, because that kind of makes sense to us, but heaven is offensive because of who Jesus lets in, because Jesus even rescues the worst of the worst. And so the very soldiers that were about in a few hours, the very religious leaders that were about to uh, turn him over to be crucified, those very ones Jesus came and actually wanted to rescue them as well. And that's why their hearts are so unsettled. That's why they're in so much turmoil and so much trouble, because he came to rescue all. And I think 2,000 years later, think about it, our world in 2,000 years hasn't really necessarily gotten better. We have more technology. We have more uh, ease of life. We have more opportunities. And yet in our hearts, there's still that turmoil. There's still something wrong. And really what technology and what advancement and, and modernity has done has given us more opportunities to sin. Has given us more access to evil has given us more access to make the wrong choice. And so Jesus, in this moment of tension, he's like, hey, don't let your hearts be troubled. And he's like, they're like, how, how can we not be troubled? You just told us all this bad stuff's about to happen. And then he says this. There's more than enough room in my father's home. If this were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? Jesus is like thinking way beyond. You know, he's not thinking about this moment. He's not thinking about the cross. He's not thinking about suffering. He jumps ahead to the end of the story, and it's kind of like, ooh, it's kind of unsettling in this specific uh, picture. He says, when everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will always be with me where I'm going. And you know the way where I'm going. He starts talking about this room. Like he, he, he says, don't be troubled, and there's plenty of room where I'm going. And when it's ready, I'll come get you. And here's the, here's the truth about humanity, even my own life. I mean, we talk about all the stuff that's troubling us. We talk about all the, the, the stresses and anxieties and the sickness and the despair of life. And isn't it true that sometimes we just want to sit there? Isn't it sometimes we, we kind of get, we wake up in a funk and don't talk to me. Coffee's not going to help this. And we just kind of get in this, nah, we just want to sit there, right? My son, Max, he, uh, he's 11, and he loves the floor. Like, he has a bed. He can, he can walk. He has no trouble. But he loves falling on the floor and saying, ugh. So I go in the mornings, and I get him up, and he goes from the bed, and he flops onto the floor. I'm like, Max, we need to get up. No, Dad, I just want to stay here on the floor. And I said, Max, we're not floor people. And I get down like this, and I was like, we're not floor people. We actually can stand upright and we can walk to the bathroom. No, Dad, and he starts crawling on the carpet, you know, on the floor. And I think all of us want that. We just want to be floor people for a while when things are going bad. And Jesus says, hey, don't worry about it. 
don't be troubled. There's actually a bunch of room in my father's house. And so he takes them ahead to the end of the story, which the disciples weren't ready to go there yet. They're trying to get their minds right about this tension. And it's been going on actually for 2,000 years. For 2,000 years, Jesus has been making room in his father's house. And his promise, this is what he told them, I am coming to get you. I will come and get you. So he made this promise to prepare a place. And once he brings us, we get to stay with him forever. It's a different kind of thing. And so the disciples are thinking earthly. Jesus is thinking eternally. And in verse 5, I like the honesty of Thomas. He's kind of a cynic. And he's like, no, we don't know, Lord. We have no idea where you're going. So how can we know the way? They had just thought, hey, we're going with swords. We're about to take over. That's the way they thought they were going. And all of a sudden, Jesus is like, hey, yeah, I'm going somewhere else, and I'm going to my dad's house, and I'm making some rooms, and you, you know the way. And they're like, ah, I don't know the way. Pause. I don't know how to get there. What are you talking about? And I think all of us have the exact same questions as the disciples. We, we ask ourselves, you're leaving right when it's about to get good, right when we're about to make a statement. You've healed the sick. You've walked on water. You've brought the dead back to life. How in the world is now the time for you to leave when we're about to make a splash? Don't leave yet. And we have no idea where you're going. And Thomas is so honest here. He's like, we have no idea. It's like not even like, oh, we don't know. We have no idea. This is the tension when we confront Jesus, when we hear about Jesus, when we grow up hearing the stories of Jesus and the resurrection and his death and birth. We, we say, uh, I really don't understand this thing yet. I need a little more information. And then we look around us and people seem to have all this faith and people seem to have all this like experience, like they're floating on cloud nine. We're like, whoa, I don't, I don't, I don't know the way yet. How, how, what's happening over here? Are they crazy? I forgot to, uh, I don't know, I didn't get the pass or something. And that's what these, that's what Thomas is thinking. And, and here's the, the tension that we're trying to figure out. Was Jesus just a good teacher? Is he just a nice guy? Was he a philosopher or a rebel? Or, or maybe he was just a revolutionary, and maybe that's why he's an interesting character in history. But when we hear him say that he is God, when we hear him say that he is the one that is going to establish the kingdom, when we hear him say these things like, I'm coming back, it really kind of throws us off. And, and if we're wrestling with this question today, who is Jesus like Thomas, we need just a little bit more information because we're not quite there yet. We don't know the way. Like, you're interested. Someone drug you here to church on Easter, and that's totally fine. And you're like, well, maybe I'm curious about this thing once again. Jesus told him the most powerful statement in Scripture. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And so he shatters this thought that they had. They were thinking about him showing them a path. They had traveled around Galilee. They had traveled around Jerusalem, and they're like, okay, we don't know the way. If you'll just give us directions, we'll go. And he stops them, and he says, hey, guys, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And then he said, if you had really known me, you would know who my Father is. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. He just told them that was him, that he is God. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father and we'll be satisfied. Here's one more, uh, one more second, Jesus. Show us the Father. And he just told him, hey, if you see me, you've seen the Father. It's, it's just a confusion. This tension is there. And Jesus says, guys, 
If you want to get to the Father's house, I'm the way. If you want to know the Father, I'm the truth. If you want to live forever with the Father, I'm the life. And he lays it out for them, and yet they're just so confused about what's happening. And then guess what happens? Jesus is arrested. He's tried. He's crucified. He's buried. He raises from the dead, and then he disappears. Now what? There's, a, there's this confusion about, man, why wouldn't I be stressed out? This is stressful. This is where we all have a decision to make. Because if Jesus claimed to be God, he claimed to be the Messiah, he claimed to be establishing a kingdom, then we have a decision to make. This is not something we just fool around with. This is something we actually have to agree with or not. Acts chapter 1, verse 6. The disciples, they've been with Jesus for 40 days. He rose from the dead. They're still thinking he's going to establish the kingdom. We'll see here in a second. They're with him for about 40 days on the earth. He appears, he eats, he shows them that he's really back to life. You can touch me. Thomas, doubting Thomas, we call him, he went and said, hey, just touch the scars. I, you can, it's, it's actually me. So it says the apostles were with Jesus. They kept asking him, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore your kingdom? So they, they still wanted it to happen now. Okay, you did the dead thing. You brought back the life. Ah, let's go. Let's do your kingdom thing. And Jesus is like, no, it's not time yet. You know why? Because you guys in Jerusalem have seen this, but the whole world doesn't know. And so he goes on to say, actually, the time, the Father alone has authority to set those dates, dates and times. And they are not for you to know. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, to the ends of the earth. After saying this, he was taken up in a cloud while they were watching. And they could no longer see him. As they strained to see him rising into heaven, two white-robed men, angels, suddenly stood among them. Men of Galilee, why are you standing here staring into heaven? Jesus has been taken from you into heaven, but someday he will return from heaven in the same way you saw him go. Can't you just feel the emotions of the disciples in this moment? Their friend, their teacher, their savior, their, um, their God, their king had been telling them all this stuff. He says, hey, you guys are about to get the spirit. Go back to the room that we had the, you know, we go to the upper room again, and the spirit's going to come. See ya. And he's like, Whoop. And they're just looking. They're staring off into the, into the distance, and they're trying to see, hey, there he is. There. He's right there. He's right there. And they're just straining. The scripture says they're straining to see Jesus as he rises. It reminds me of when I was a kid. I, I don't know if you guys lived close to your grandparents or far away, but I lived uh, far away from my grandparents. And they would come visit. We lived in Costa Rica, and they would come visit us. And it was great. I mean, we had a great time. The, my grandma and grandpa would come, my granny and pa would come, we'd spend a lot of time together, and, I, and in the back of my head, the day was coming for them to get on that plane, and I was trying to figure out a way, hide their tickets, passports, something, you know, I wanted to keep them back, but the day eventually was coming, and in Costa Rica at that time, you could go in the airport, you could help them check in, you could go to the gate, get them on the gate, get them on the plane, and we would always go and give them hugs and say, when are we going to see you again, and sad and tears, and then we'd run out to the car. And we'd drive the car around to the front of the, the runway. And there was a gate there. And we'd stand at the gate. And we'd see the plane. And it would back up. And we'd always tell them, raise your window up and wave because we're going to be waving at you. 
and then the airplane would taxi, and then it would take off, and we'd watch it. We'd watch it go until we couldn't see it anymore. We were straining to see, and then it would disappear. And we'd stand there for about 15 minutes. I think I can still see him. And then mom and dad are like, hey, guys, let's load up. Let's go. And in our hearts, there was this, like, tension and this mixture of, man, we had a great time. Oh, when are we going to see him again? And, and I can imagine the disciples standing there on the Mount of Olives, and they're looking up, and they're straining, and they're like, what in the world are we going to do now? When is he coming back? And they all expected him to come back in their lifetime. And for 2,000 years, we've been expecting him to come back. And a lot of us think, well, I don't know if we can actually count on him coming back. But there's two truths we find in Scripture in these passages. He's coming back the same way he went. Last month, I was up at the Mount of Olives eating lunch. And as I was sitting there, I was like, ah, oh, that'd be really cool if Jesus just like, came down. Then this would all be done, we'd be finished, you know. And I'm sitting there, and I, were, I was like, hey, i got to go to the bathroom, delaying time, you know, not to leave yet. And here we are in Oklahoma, and he hasn't come back. But right there on the Mount of Olives, Scripture says he's going to come back the same way in the cloud. And there's something about his return that just fills you with this anticipation. It says that suddenly he'll return. And the Father's in charge of the time. We don't have to worry about the day or the time in the clouds. But in Acts 1.8, it says that while he is gone, we're going to be working. There's something about spreading the good news of Jesus to the ends of the earth that God is just waiting just a little bit, a little bit longer, until he returns because he wants more and more people to hear. The disciples were on the Mount of Olives. They returned back to Jerusalem, and they understood this truth that the return of Jesus is imminent. It could be right now. It could be soon. It could be tomorrow, anytime. Everything's ready. John 14.3 says, When everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will always be with me. So what are we supposed to do in the meantime? There's two things. The return of Jesus should not bring fear. I think there's been a, there's been a weaponization of the return of Jesus in our culture where the return of Jesus is more fearful, like something to dread, than actually something to anticipate. Um, in our home, and I think anybody that's a parent has this experience, you... Um, guy, typically guys are working and moms are at home or maybe it's vice versa and if you're having a day with the kids you know you're just having a day you say just wait till dad gets home anybody use that line just wait till mom gets home I mean it's like we want to put something in our kids so that they straighten up right straighten up because you don't want your dad to come home anybody like that is it just me okay and we've, we've turned it to Jesus, and we tell the world, just wait till God comes home. And we have the Schwarzenegger glasses. I'll be back. And I'm going to set things right. That's, that's kind of what we've done, and we've weaponized it, and we've made our culture and society afraid instead of anticipating. The coming of Jesus should not bring fear at all. Actually, the coming of Jesus is to set things right. It's something that we can look forward with with joy. And actually, that return of Jesus, that the, the spirit-filled, joyful expectation of his return is what Scripture tells us. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, Paul, he was an early believer. He, he established churches and ministries around Asia and Asia Minor. This man was anticipating the return of Jesus in his lifetime, and he said this, As for me, my life has already been poured out as an offering to God. 
The time of my death is near. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have remained faithful. And now the prize awaits me, the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on the day of his return. And then he says this, really curious, and the prize is not just for me, but for all those who eagerly await or look forward to his appearing. There's something about the crown of righteousness. When Jesus comes back, he's coming with a prize. He's coming with a crown. He's coming with a reward. And the, the appearing, the eagerly looking forward to the joyful expectation of his return is that he's coming with his prize in his hand. Every time I travel, my son Max expects me to bring him something. Some trinket, some gift, it doesn't matter. I've trained him, he's trained me, so much so that if I'm in the Oklahoma City airport on the way home and I'm like, oh, I forgot to get Max something, let me go get a candy bar, get a candy bar, bring it to Max, because I want him to know that I've thought about him. When Jesus returns, he's not just coming back, and it's exciting, because when you walk through the door with your family and they come running and put their arms around you, or you see old friends you haven't seen in a long time, and that reunion happens, something about the embrace is awesome, but coming with a gift, Wow. Jesus is coming with a gift in his hand. And here's what we see in Scripture is that Jesus is excited about coming back. He's, he's eagerly waiting for the Father to say go. He's looking forward to his return for us to be with him forever. There will be no more darkness and no more sorrow and no more pain, and yet his kingdom will last forever and we'll never have to say goodbye again. Not only never say goodbye to him again, but to each other again. We'll be with him for eternity. No matter what we understand about the scripture and as far as our understanding of the resurrection, the reason it's so powerful is because the resurrection seals the promises of God. The resurrection proves that Jesus is trustworthy. And it changed the disciples' lives. It turned their lives upside down where every single one of them gave their lives for Jesus. They went from cowering in fear to boldly proclaiming Jesus is coming back. So here's the thing. Jesus is coming to be with us forever. He's coming, away to, wipe, uh, t- coming to wipe away every tear. And here at the... Here at the Resurrection, Resurrection Sunday, we need to wrestle with this thought. Jesus is coming back, and it's nothing to fill me with fear or dread, but with joy. How have I made room in my life for him? So he's away making room for me in his father's house. How have I made room in my life for him? And it's a decision. No one can force you. And the Spirit draws you over and over again to the hope that Jesus is who he says he is. And so today, 2,000 years later, on a Resurrection Sunday, we can anticipate his return at any moment. And in the meantime, we can make room for him. Let me pray this morning.